Welcome to Streams of Progress, where we bring you weekly conversations with many of the UAE's prominent leaders and thinkers. Each of our guests are actively contributing to the vitality of the UAE community and economy. Our goal in the podcast is to inspire you to drive progress in your professional and personal life. Hey everyone, this is Merod, and this week on Streams of Progress, we have another special episode done in collaboration with Young Arab Leaders. On this episode, I sat down with Muna al Director of Retail at the Isa Salah al Gerd Group and Chairwoman of Young Arab Leaders. She shared some of her learnings from being a marketer early on in her career and how in her role as Retail Director, she values every step of the customer experience, whether that's in-store or online. We explored the various events that Young Arab Leaders hosts for its members and how the power of networking amplifies knowledge sharing. She's been a vocal advocate for supporting local makers and entrepreneurs and her involvement in various philanthropic initiatives extends beyond just the UAE. So there was a lot covered, so let's dive right in. We're sitting down with Muna al the Director of Retail at Issa Saleh al Group and the Chairwoman of Young Arab Leaders. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. There's a lot to cover, and I'll just get right into it. Like all our guests, we tend to ask, where does your story begin? Can you tell us a bit about your background? Well, not a lot of people know this, but I was actually, I spent the first five years of my life uh, living near the clock tower. And so that's like Deira side of Dubai. And it's like really old Dubai. And and I love that place because it reminds me of my childhood. So I was born and then uh, sort of lived there near the clock tower, which now has become this iconic kind of, you know, structure uh, that reminds people of old Dubai. So I love that area. It reminds me of my childhood. And funnily enough, we ended up then having our offices actually ended up on the creek, which is so significant again to old Dubai. You know, I was born and brought up in Dubai and I did spend some of my time between uh, the UAE and the UK because my father was a diplomat. But, you know, most of my life I kind of was exposed to the business world through the family business that I'm part of. And so it's very, uh, it was very common to have weekend kind of discussions about business all the time uh, as I was growing up. So that really is my background in terms of my, you know, my childhood and growing up. And then later on, um, much later, of course, I did my uh, MBA at London Business School. So that was also something that I worked towards. So how many years were you abroad? Was it just for London? business school and you came back? London Business School was something that was uh, post uh, work. So so that was, you know, many, many years later. Uh, so it wasn't when I was much younger. Um, it was more after I had really worked for a good amount of years, about eight, nine years within the within the family business. But yeah, I can say that I spent around maybe 10 years between the UAE and the UK, you know, on and off. But yeah, so, so that's really... Uh, my background. And the family business you're referring to, that's the Issa Saleh al group? Yes, correct. So this year we are celebrating 60 years since it was established and it was established 60 years ago, basically, by my father. And so, you know, we are, we have 27 companies under the group. It's basically, you know, a very diversified conglomerate. So, yes, and I work as the head of retail uh, at the Elgar group. So what does head of retail or direct of retail do? Does that mean you're involved with the retail brands? Yes. So 
The group, as I said, is quite diversified. So I would say that, uh, you know, 20% of the business is in retail, another 20% of the business is in manufacturing, and the rest is really in joint ventures with companies like Siemens, Unilever, British American Tobacco, etc. And so the retail side is is mainly uh, furniture and home appliances. So uh, brands like Kare, our own homegrown brand like Chattels and more. And so, so a lot of the retail is to do with home lifestyle. Now, my background is marketing and advertising. And so I started off within the family business really at the lowest uh, level, which was as a marketing executive. And, uh, you know, I did a lot of research at the time and I was really learning about the business, which was super interesting because I, you know, it was new to me as a family business and I was quite young at the time. Uh, but, But what happened is that I then gradually grew from being in the marketing division to then heading, um, you know, the communications division to eventually then really getting into the retail sector. And I remember at the time, you know, the world was going through a recession and I had just completed my MBA. And, and I remember I was told, you know, we're going through this recession and things are not looking very good and we want you to come in and head the retail. And I thought, oh, great. This is, uh, uh, I mean, no pressures there, you know? So I did find it a bit daunting, but everyone thought just because I had the MBA that I could do it. But but yeah, eventually it ended up being um, a fantastic uh, journey, quite honestly. And particularly because, because of my sort of marketing and communications background, um, I, it all kind of fell into place in terms of the retail side of things. And as you can imagine, communications goes into every touch point of your business. And so what that entails really, my role uh, is looking into training of employees, uh, looking at um, every single channel of communication that goes out there, whether it's digital or print, et cetera, kind of managing um, the employees and the teams and ensuring that we have the best quality, uh, you know, retail uh, experiences for our customers. So that's really what my job role entails. So you're involved in almost all the touch points related to all the different retail brands. Correct. So if you have a problem with any of our online presence, <laughs> you can give me a call. I, I'm, I'm really, really the person to, I'm in charge of that. <laughs> you mentioned that you actually began your role as the, the head of retail during the last recession. Was that around in 2008, 2009? Correct. Yeah. It would be very remiss for me not to actually ask about the current pandemic and how have you been adjusting you know to this new economic climate you just hinted at it I think right now with a bit of your e-commerce aspects if you can tell us a bit more yeah so you know we went from having a presence online uh, and particularly let's say for uh, retail to having an excellent presence online. So this whole pandemic kind of has forced us to to really scrutinize our online presence. Um, And, you know, I'm very big on quality, as I mentioned. And so um, I think that this was a, a great opportunity for us to kind of uh, dive deeper into, you know, the way we, um, you know, are platformed out there. And so, um, so that's what we did. We took the experience to the next level. I'm very uh, aware of the fact that consumers now are conscious consumers and they do a lot of research online. And so we kind of really pivoted to the next level in terms of uh, getting an excellent uh, 
customer experience online uh, through our retail channels. And we we also had to kind of adapt, to, as you said, to the situation because it is a very unique situation. We know people are at home and they're researching, um, uh, but we also know that they expect um, a very different kind of also delivery and service. So one of the first things we ensured was a 24-hour delivery. And we also took our customers through this whole step-by-step kind of sanitization of how we deliver our products. And, and so we adapted really to the situation right now. And it's really worked out for us because our sales increased exponentially after uh, the changes in our online uh, presence and, and changes in the processes. And, and we could see that. So it really did kind of translate into sales also. You're also the member of the UN High Commissioner for Refugees Sustainability Board. So what exactly is the role of this board and how does it work? Well, we come together as different members from all over the MENA. And our goal really is to ensure that, you know, refugees get the best aid uh, possible. Um, we strategize on a macro level also in terms of how can people from the MENA help more refugees uh, through, let's say, events, uh, through bringing in uh, brand ambassadors for the UN uh, that can be sort of, uh, you know, you, you can have like, uh, uh, you know, dinners, uh, you know, with, with a network of people that can come together and also uh, give a lot more. So I think that that board was really uh, put in place to get more aid into, uh, you know, the refugee camps. And I think that the UN felt that there's a lot more that can be done from the MENA region. And how did you get involved with the sport? Was it something you were invited to or something you volunteered for? No, it was something that I was, uh, yes, invited to. So they invited me. There was something you said earlier when you started working for the family business and you actually started off at the lower rungs in the hierarchy. And from what I understand, you actually worked at Sachi and Sachi in the past. What was your role there? So I worked for a very short while there and I was just, uh, you know, as a junior marketing executive where I did a lot of like research for them. And it was, uh, it was a really interesting experience because I was actually on the agency side, right? And once I did enter into the family business, it, I was on the client side. And it really helped that I had worked at the agency because I understood what are the uh, sort of like, what's the thought process that goes into actually creating, uh, you know, your ads and your communications and your everything, your touch points, everything. And, and that really helped from that perspective. So it was an interesting experience. But for me to be on both sides really sort of opened up my mind um, about uh, you know, this field, basically. What I wanted to actually ask is, what is one key understanding you learned from there? I understood how to kind of fully focus and research, um, you know, a target audience. And that's what we did on the agency side. Um, and so once I was on the client side, I was, I think that's why I'm also very big on quality, uh, because I understand that your product has to serve your consumer and you need to understand your consumer very well. Uh, and so that kind of really helped me, um, working on the agency side.
And also when I did start to work at the family business, I really did want to get my hands dirty. I did want to uh, be that person who was on the shop floor asking questions to the customer. And I think this background really helped me get there. Um, and I learned a lot more about the business because I wasn't just sitting in my office. I was, you know, within our stores, interacting with uh, customers, asking them questions, learning about, you know, everything, you know, everything you can think of that goes on in, in in a business. So, so yes, that background really helped me. And when we were doing our research actually about you, we came across, I think it was an older blog you had where you really come across as an advocate for buying local, supporting homegrown talent. I just want to ask, why do you think this is important? I mean, you do come from a retail background, but why is it specifically important to support, let's say, local entrepreneurs and makers? Well, it's interesting. That blog was one of the, my first kind of, uh, as they say, expressions. I used to express myself on that blog a very long time ago. And I used to also write for, for Gulf News. And so that was where I used to also publish my articles on my blog. Um, and so going back to your question really about um, you know SMEs, I feel that SMEs, uh, you know, make up the backbone of our society in terms of like uh, creativity, innovation, uh, the hard work that goes into SMEs. And I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. And so um, I feel that it's important for us. It's, it's our responsibility, really, to kind of buy local and support local, uh, because if we keep on just uh, buying global brands, uh, then how do we serve our own economy? You know, and so I think we need to consciously uh, make that decision. Uh, the only thing is that it, it, sometimes it's a bit very difficult for people to make that conscious decision because they going for global brands is, is, is more out there, you know, and it's more kind of uh, sort of in your face. But, but local brands are, you almost need to find them. Um, and the reason being, obviously, is that, again, their marketing budgets are very small and they don't have a lot uh, to work with. And so they're dealing with as much as they can be as creative as they can uh, with the budgets that they have. Uh, but I really do believe that it's up to us. We can make a difference as consumers um, and, and we can have both. I'm not saying that it has to be ultimately just uh, local uh, businesses, but we can also have a balance at least of both. I assume then in your own practice as director of retail, do some of your stores try and incorporate some of this homegrown or local, let's say, suppliers into the products you sell? So this is a very, very interesting question you ask. I was once asked a similar question by uh, Wamla. Um, the, you know, Wamla were doing research and uh, they wanted to know whether we, how do we engage with local SMEs? All right. And they were really pleased to hear, you know, after we sat with them and gave them our feedback, is that we actually engage with SMEs on all levels. So I will give you a couple of examples. For example, if we do engage with a PR agency, we don't engage with a, a global PR agency. We go for the boutique agencies. Again, the same goes for advertising agencies. We do give a lot of work 
to boutique ad agencies, uh, you know, homegrown ad agencies for, from within the UAE. The same goes for training. Uh, and so take that across, you know, many levels. And so that really does make a difference because as a business conglomerate, you have an effect on, um, you know, the companies that are out there. So if you're engaging with the smaller boutique companies, you're helping those companies thrive. And once they have you on their list, they get more businesses to come on board, you know? And so that's really where we have made a difference within the Elgar Group. Uh, It's by by working with the smaller boutique agencies through all the different processes that we need to outsource to. Building on this theme of supporting community, I also was reading in your blog again was about some of your philanthropy work and actually being very hands-on. If you can maybe tell us specifically the story about Zanzibar. I think you went on a trip with a friend. Maybe you can enlighten our listeners. I call this project uh, really my baby project. Um, And so, you know, I went to a friend's house, um, I think it's 10 years ago. I can't actually give you the exact day, but it was around 10 years ago. And I went to a friend's house and she was leaving the country and she was having a garage sale for these uh, students in Zanzibar. Uh, And so I said, yeah, okay, sure. You know, I'll buy a few things. Uh, And I came home and the flyer was in my hand and I kind of then came home and I showed my dad and I said, you know, there's this school in Zanzibar and uh, my friend is trying to, um, you know, get uh, more money to help build a bigger school. And just out of the blue, uh, you know, it's just when things are meant to happen. um, My father just said, why don't you go to Zanzibar uh, and check that place out? And I said, Okay, Um, you know, why? So he said, well, you know, if they really need help, why not? We can help them build the school. And I thought, this is an amazing opportunity. (laughs) I don't mind at all. And so I went to Zanzibar and I fell in love with the island um, and I fell in love with its people. And myself and my my best friend, Aisha Al-Kharusi, who is actually originally Zanzibari and she's Omani. And she's the one who got me to understand more about the about the island and its people. And then we ended up building the school uh, that, uh, you know, it, you know, it takes 300 students, um, you know, per year. And it and it ended up being a beautiful school and, and on um, on the island of Zanzibar in, in a place called Bweju. And so that really has been my baby project. And since then, I go back to Zanzibar at least once a year because I I honestly loved it so much. But it was a, a beautiful story. And it, it was actually quite, um, as they say, uh, I got to experience it firsthand. So sometimes when you do give money, you kind of give money, but you don't get to experience what what your money is actually doing for that person. But in this case, I really got to see how these kids went through school and and it was it's been super interesting because I've seen some of these kids go from being three, four year olds to now being teenagers and about to finish school, you know? So it's super interesting. Yeah. I think that's an interesting perspective to see your money or your charitable donation in action. You actually get to see it firsthand. Yeah, absolutely. It's so much more impactful for you, uh, you know, and, and for them. So actually, I was going to ask about the Charity Foundation. I actually didn't know this project is actually one of those projects that the foundation's involved in? Yes, yes. And what other types of work? Is it all around education or are there other types of initiatives that 
the foundation supports? No, it's quite diverse in its initiatives. And so the Isa Saleh al again, foundation, charity foundation was built 10 years ago. And we have been supporting over the years projects all over the world, in India and in Africa, healthcare centers, schools, etc. But we also do a lot of work within the UAE. So over the years, you know, we've been helping many students uh, get scholarships towards school scholarships and university scholarships. We have this great uh, project called the School Bags Project. So we give out 10,000 school bags with, you know, everything that goes into it every year. We give out, uh, you know, thousands of iftar meals. In 2019 itself, we helped 220 orphans. Uh, We also gave help medical help to 235 people in the UAE. So every year we do a lot of different initiatives to help. And there's a very good kind of governance structure in place for the foundation uh, because it was actually a decree by Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid who gave us the authority to start this foundation. And so we have, you know, there's a governing body that comes and looks at our financials every year and looks at our impact. And so this has been, uh, that's, that's what the foundation has been working on over the years. Speaking of uh, impactful initiatives, I think it's time for me to ask you about Young Arab Leaders, which you are a care woman of. If you could just enlighten our audience, what is Young Arab Leaders? Right. <laughs> okay. So the Young Arab Leaders really is a network of people that have come together who have been successful Arabs and who would like to impact their communities and their youth and young entrepreneurs. And so these successful Arabs come together and network together, but they also give back to the community through workshops and through sort of you know expertise within whatever they are experts at within these workshops. And so the main aim of Young Arab Leaders is to have an impact on these uh, young people within the GCC. We've had uh, fantastic also events within Young Arab Leaders. I think the unique part is its sort of members uh, events. We've had, uh, you know, lunches with many ministers, such as Her Excellency Maryam Al-Mahiri, the Minister for Food Security, and the Minister for AI, His Excellency uh, Omar Al-Ulama. And so these are the kind of events that we have for our members. And our members, in return, really are interested in impacting sort of the SME youth and young entrepreneurs out there. And how did Young Arab Leaders come about? I believe it was at the World Economic Forum. Can you give a bit of background to that? So in 2004, it was launched at uh, the World Economic Forum uh, at the Dead Sea. And um, it was actually launched by His Highness Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid al-Maktoum, by King uh, Abdullah of Jordan, and by uh, Prince Salman of Bahrain. And these three people came together to say that we'd like to launch this initiative and to take the talent that exists within the Arab world to the next generation. There was something you said earlier regarding workshops, but there's something I actually have heard a lot about from my own network, and that's power lunches. Is that what you hinted at, where these very prominent individuals from government, from different industries, gather with the members? Yes, absolutely. This is a network that uh, is a paying network. So our members actually pay to be part of the network and come together. But at the same time, 
we give back to our members through our events. And very similar to, let's say, uh, networks out there such as YPO and Young Presidents Organizations and all the others. It's a combination of really networking, but also giving back. And so through our events, we have these power lunches, as you mentioned, where we do have various people that you would probably just read about in the newspaper. And our members get to have these intimate lunches and events, even executive meetups with some people from the corporate world, such as Dr. Dalia Al-Muthanna, who heads GE in the MENA region. And so people like that come to our events and we get to meet them and we get to kind of engage with them in a very small, intimate capacity. And so you get to then really ask questions that you probably would never have the chance to do so. And it goes beyond just, let's say, these lunches. I believe there's uh, social gatherings, there's meetups, yep. there's multiple things that members engage in. Yes, absolutely. And as I said, we have, you know, evening executive meetups where we have people from the corporate world. We've had head of do, we've had, you know, head of GE, all these different people come and explain about what they're working on within their businesses and their kind of day-to-day operations. Uh, and we get to then ask them those questions about, you know, what, what it's all about. And our members benefit greatly from this. It seems like we're talking a lot about the benefits for the members. I think let's go back to the actual youth that are impacted or supported. So I just wanted to ask in terms of how does the networking or the mentorship aspect work for the youth that these members are able to interact with? Right. So this is a very interesting question. And a lot of people who do apply to YAL say that they like this angle about YAL, which is giving back to the community and they want to give back. And they ask us initially, you know, how how can we, uh, you know, impact the youth of, of this region? And so we have these workshops where we partner with the likes of Khalifa Fund, uh, you know, so that's a, a local SME fund um, and, and let's say Emirates Foundation and others that um, have the database of youth within their organizations. And we partner with them and organize these workshops where we bring our members and basically have our members speak on a panel and give workshops uh, within the expertise to those entrepreneurs. And I think that's been uh, really great. Um, We've also had Shirar um, uh, from Sharjah also be a partner. And again, we hold these workshops within the location of where these youth are. And we try and help as much as we can in terms of uh, promote their skills um, and get them to ask the questions again that they would probably not have access to on a day-to-day basis. So we almost act like, you know, mentors towards these uh, young people. What role do you think mentorship plays in a youth's learning and development? Because obviously there is what they learn in school, but what mentorship I think conveys, there's another element to it. What do you think that is? I think that it's interesting to get a a sort of different perspective and a very independent perspective, because when you are a young person or even not even a young person, you could be an entrepreneur trying to get your business to grow and you're going through the sort of everyday challenges and you cannot see beyond that, you know, challenge that you have. I think getting an independent person to give you their perspective has really does help, uh, you know, a great deal. And so I think mentorship really is so important. 
Question for yourself. Did you have any mentors? So, yeah, that's a good question. I don't think I formally had a mentor, but I was subliminally mentored uh, by my father. Um, and so, as I said, you know, I spent years between the UAE and uh, the UK. Uh, and I was, you know, in that period, very much so sort of, um, you know, exposed to my dad's opinions and sort of advice, etc. Uh, so, so I think I subliminally did have a mentor, um, and he was a great mentor uh, and continues to be a, a, a great kind of person that I can go back to, although he comes from a very d different generation, but his business uh, sort of uh, acumen is so spot on. So that's been good for me. Um, and that reminds me actually of a funny story I'd like to share, which is uh, when I was in the UK with him once, I was invited uh, and uh, <laughs> I was invited to a tea party at Buckingham Palace and I remember I had to wear a big hat which was my first time that I ever wore a hat and um, I remember uh, I was um, very pleased with my hat actually and I was there and then we met uh, the Queen and Prince Charles and Prince Charles came up to me and he said your hat looks really big it's almost as big as a satellite dish and so I was so embarrassed <laughs> and and uh, and so um so that's a very funny story that I keep remembering about my time with my dad in the UK but yeah I just thought that is not related to mentorship but a funny story <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a question about that now is wearing a big hat a requirement uh, wearing a hat is a requirement but I chose to go all out <laughs> So you just added the big, that was your choice. Yes, absolutely. I thought, you know, I'm never going to wear a hat probably again. So I might as well buy the biggest one that out there. <laughs> I know you're also uh, a member of, I, I believe, Endeavor. You're, mm -hmm. you're a board member of Endeavor. I, I just wondered, did, are there any collaborations that occur or do you somehow extend your YAL network to the other networks you're involved in? There is an overlap um, with with some of these organizations, as I said. So when we partner with YAL, we partnered in the past with Khalifa Fund and Emirates Foundation, which are all organizations that I'm like I'm on the board of Emirates Foundation also. But Endeavor is a great organization that I've been part of. I'm actually one of the founding members of Endeavor. And it's a brilliant organization that sort of scales up uh, businesses uh, and takes businesses uh, to the next level and helps them grow. And so at the moment, we have 44 entrepreneurs within Endeavor and the UAE. And we do this through this very strong network of mentors. Again, we link businesses to the experts that they'd like to kind of uh, get advice from. And so just to mention a few names of the Endeavor entrepreneurs, Mom's World, Kareem, you know, Herbal Essentials, many different other businesses such as these have been, you know, on the side of gaining a lot out of accessing the Endeavor mentors. I also noticed some of the Endeavor founders are also YAL members. So that clearly there is... That it reciprocates or goes through both networks when each succeeds. Well, it's a very small world. <laughs> Although people believe that uh, you know um, it's it's a it's a bigger world than they think it is, but to be honest, uh, it's a very small pool of people who are passionate about entrepreneurship, and you can almost you know count them on you know your ten fingers. So. Uh, we're all the people that you see uh, on these different boards are very passionate about 
kind of, um, you know, scaling up businesses, helping uh, entrepreneurs get to the next level. And so that's why you see a lot of uh, the same people on different boards. Um, and it's because they're very passionate about this, this sector. Um, and so, yes, you are right. We have, and in fact, actually, we're all friends. <laughs> so that's another thing. <laughs> that helps as well. Yeah, we are all friends. A lot of us socialize outside work hours. Speaking of entrepreneurship, uh, what sorts of opportunities do you see emerging for young Arab entrepreneurs, especially now that we're all adjusting, let's say, to the new norm? Like, for instance, we're all wearing masks, right? So do you see any new types of opportunities emerging for the young entrepreneurs out there? Well, I think that, you know, in the, firstly, in this environment, entrepreneurs will have to come up with ideas that solve a problem, but again, aren't as capitally intensive because we are at a point where, uh, you know, business is in a tough situation. So as you said, you know, coming up with innovative ideas such as, you know, um, you know, whether it be masks or whether it be sanitizers or whether it be, I've seen lots of uh, businesses that are unrelated to these uh, that have sort of brought in this line and that kind of directs your consumer again, back to your original line of business, you know, uh, but it's good to adapt to the situation currently. Again, I go back to the point, you know, we are dealing with conscious consumers. Uh, and so that's very important to kind of remember that. And people are very, I think they're actually getting more and more conscious in their decisions, particularly because they, we've gone through this very difficult situation that has, um, that has made consumers kind of reassess their buying behavior. So, you know, if your business has a social impact uh, angle to it, even better. I totally agree with you. I think a lot of people are more, let's say, conscious consumers. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us woke up to the fact that this pandemic was, you know, we couldn't really predict it to be this impactful as it was. Yeah. But to be honest, this is almost nothing in compared to if we don't do anything about climate change. So I think a lot of people's perspective in terms of being a bit more conscious about everything in terms of what we do in terms of the community society environment uh, we're, we're starting to pay more attention to these things yes exactly so i want to ask a bit more about yourself some personal thoughts and i want to ask if did you have anyone you would consider a role model when you were you know when you got started working at the family business were there you know internal or even external just people you look towards as an inspiration for your career? At the time, I had a boss who was actually head of marketing and communications who had over 20 years experience in the field. And I learned a lot from him. Uh, and he was my uh, mentor at the time. And I just listened to every single word he had to say, and I took down notes. And so I think someone who is within your field uh, is always someone that can really uh, benefit you um, if you kind of listen to, you know, their, their, their way of doing things. So you really absorbed what was being said. Correct. Yes, I did. And I was a very, I, well, I still am, I think, a very good listener. So I think that, uh, um, I think that, that helped a lot. Um, and I absorbed every single thing uh, that was done. And, and, the, and the techniques and the way he did, you know, the way he conducted himself and the way he conducted uh, business and the way 
um, you know, he related to employees, everything. Um, and I learned a lot about the field, um, which was uh, marketing and advertising. Um, and I guess it's also because he had um, so many years, decades of experience. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people now who work with me can say the same because I've been working um, for the last uh, 18, 20 years. I can't remember, actually. <laughs> I've lost track, but I've been working for a very long time. So, um, uh, yes, it does help to have someone from within your field. Speaking of techniques, are there any personal routines or habits you tend to do? And what I mean by that is something you would consider maybe unique to yourself. Mm -hmm. In a difficult situation, uh, I'm very diplomatic. And I think that that really helps because I tend to kind of, you know, absorb uh, the situation, sleep on it, and then perhaps react the next day. And I don't uh, immediately like kind of uh, react. And that's uh, something that I find has helped me a lot. Uh, and again, being a, a good listener. So listening uh, a lot more to what people have to say and understanding um, and so I think that's something that's quite unique to, to, to me, which is being very diplomatic in difficult situations. I think that's actually a very difficult skill, what you're hinting at, to not react right away, to maybe absorb it, think about it, and then say something yes. about it after the yes. fact. So I'll get to our rapid fire questions. You can give us short or long mm -hmm. answers. It's up to you. So if you could post a message on Sheikh Zayed Road, on, on the billboard on Sheikh Zayed Road, going towards Abu Dhabi, going towards Sharjah, anything aside from, let's say, something marketing related, not, not promoting any of your retail brands, uh, just a message for the people visiting Dubai or people who live here, what, what would you like it to say? Change begins with you. Uh, so this is a message that I would probably put out there because this is something that we are really thinking about uh, during this uh, pandemic. Um, and we're really thinking about our dis daily decisions. Uh, and, and how did we, how do we, how did we get to this stage? Uh, so that's a message that I would like to sort of get people to resonate with, which is change begins with you. So I want to dig deeper a little there. Does that mean be a bit more introspective as well? Like, do you, do you look to yourself before trying to change others? No, I think what, what I'd like to say uh, with that message is to be more socially conscious uh, and, and, and to make decisions, you know, as you said, uh, which is either, uh, you know, an envir the environment that we live in, um, how are we helping the environment? Um, um, how are we helping uh, other people through the decisions we make in, uh, as a consumer? Um, and, and also, and what I mean by change is like, we all have to ask ourselves this question, you know, how can I be a better person? Um, and that goes across everything, really, you know? I really like that. I, I think that would be a good message for everyone to hear. <laughs> So if there's a book that you gift to people or if you were going to gift a book to people, what, what would it be? The Blue Sweater by uh, Jacqueline Novogratz. What is that? So this is a book that I read um, many years ago. In fact, I loved it so much 
that I ended up giving on my blog at the time, <laughs> I ended up giving 10 free copies. Uh, and so I met Jacqueline Novogratz, who, if you read about her, she's a fantastic, phenomenal woman. Um, and uh, so she has really uh, started this company called um, uh, the Acumen Fund. And, and the Acumen Fund really uh, looks at, um, you know, investing in businesses uh, that help communities grow in terms of jobs, job creation, in terms of solving a problem. And they go to countries such as Pakistan and, you know, Uganda and uh, Rwanda and Kenya. And, and so um, I, I read about her journey in this book called The Blue Sweater, uh, where she actually was a corporate banker. And she left that whole world to work in this uh, social impact field and then to ultimately start the Acumen Fund. And I just found it fascinating, her story. And, and I was very, uh, you know, now I can call her actually a mentor and a friend and uh, a person that I work with and I bounce off a lot of ideas with. Jacqueline is an amazing woman. And so this book, I love it. It's called The Blue Sweater. The Acumen Fund is, is the same one behind the Acumen Global Fellow, I believe, where Correct. they support people working towards these type of causes. So the Acumen Academy right now is their current kind of big project. Uh, so for many, many years, they went straight into um, investing in businesses on, on ground. Uh, and now what they're seeing is there's actually this, you know, fantastic global network of fellows uh, that can have this domino effect on each other in terms of like, uh, if they get the right guidance, then they can really do so much more within their countries. Uh, so yes, the Acumen, that's the Acumen Fellowship uh, Academy. It's interesting. There's some theme here as well, again, going back to what you're doing with young Arab leaders, where this domino effect, where the, the successful entrepreneurs of today or the past mm -hmm. are now giving back to the next generation mm -hmm. of leaders emerging. So do you have a favorite documentary? So anything by David Attenborough okay. is, is something that I, that I love. Again, uh, you know, I really look up to this person in his 90s who is still going so strong and has uh, created a wealth of knowledge for us to learn from. Uh, so I love all his documentaries. And they're captivating, especially all the latest ones, especially with the 4K. I, I don't know how they're capturing these animals in these states, but it's 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 amazing. A lot of it is uh, shot also like in Africa. So that's a continent that I have been exploring over the last 10 years. Um, and so that's something that I really enjoy. Like we went to Botswana a couple of months ago before this whole uh, situation. And, you know, I've been to Kenya, I've been to Uganda. So I, I think also I appreciate, as you said, the kind of uh, documentation of all these amazing, incredible animals and their kind of kingdom. Um, and so I love it. Yeah. I think it's actually been a while where I haven't thought of the animal kingdom, <laughs> but it really is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They've got, it's, it's another world. Yeah. Do you have any personal hobbies that you explore on the evenings or weekends? I love collecting art. And so on weekends, uh, you will either find me at Al Sarkal Avenue or at Jamil Art Center. So these two on a Saturday, I'm definitely somewhere, you know, in between there. And um, and so that's what I love uh, doing. We're very, very lucky uh, in, in the UAE. 
there is so much going on in terms of the arts. And, you know, you've also got Sharjah, the Sharjah museums have some fantastic exhibitions always on, you know, and so... This is where I'm at on the weekend. Uh, my other hobby is a little bit unconventional, which is I like to box. So um, I've been boxing for the last couple of years. I love boxing um, and my trainer is like uh, an ex-professional uh, boxer from Cameroon. And so uh, I've, been, I've been doing a lot of that also, which has really helped keep me fit. So Arts and boxing. <laughs> Great combo. <laughs> so different. <laughs> Lastly, do you have a wish or dream initiative for the UAE? And when I mean dream initiative, I mean something outlandish, you know, like moonshots. Oh, I see. Okay. (laughs) I'm a little bit more practical. Let's throw out practicality here. Let's go for you know, <laughs> impractical. Right. Yeah, that would be fantastic to kind of see the UAE uh, reach, uh, you know, that, that level of galaxies in the world. But I'd also like uh, really wish for the UAE to secure, uh, you know, a future beyond oil and to convert the oil industry into intellectual property. And what I mean by that is we really would like to see this country kind of develop its, you know, research and over the next couple of decades, And that's something that I have uh, spoken about uh, openly all the time. And I think that's the future. And we need to kind of invest in that. And so that's where I see us going. Once we start investing in intellectual property and developing more research and development over these years, you'll see us go beyond kind of the oil industry sort of uh, era. So it's almost like the UAE becoming a hub for research or R&D. Correct. That can export, uh, let's say, new innovations or new technologies around the world. Yes. Or even thoughts, knowledge. And I continue to say I'm very happy to also participate from the private sector in terms of like invest, you know, my own means into such, uh, you know, projects. So I'm happy to do that also because I really would like to see this really grow. Let's build on this because you said you come from a bit more practical background. What would it take for something like this to happen? Because I do believe it is something of a public and private relationship. It can't just be one side pushing it to happen. That's an interesting question that, you know, um, I've also looked into, which is how do you make this happen? And for example, um, and again, you have interviewed Najla from uh, Shira, Najla Mutfah, my friend. Yes. She's also my good friend. And so we always have these kind of conversations. And so it's kind of, you, you need to go into the institutions within the UAE. So I'll give you an example. The American University in Sharjah, for example, which has a very strong curriculum, have engineers, have business people, have you know young people with ideas, architecture, etc. We need to go to those people and say that if they have a product or they have any kind of uh, idea, uh, but need investment to take that and, and develop it into, um, you know, an IP it, we'll help you. And that's, that's the future. And there are many of them, although we may not hear about them, but there are many of them. And so I think that's really important. That's, it's our, again, our responsibility as private sector to kind of, um, look into that. And we can do it with the help of the government, obviously, but, but the private sector needs to have that as their kind of, um, uh, you know, their, their background mandate, 
you know, if you come from a, you know, private business and you have the means to kind of endorse, uh, financially endorse such ideas and products, I think it's important to kind of really do that. And I believe it's beyond just giving back socially. It's a financial investment. So you would think of it as a strategic move or for, you know, you're thinking about the future and you actually believe in what they're producing. So you're not just going after any engineer's product, but the one that maybe aligns to what you think the future of the market looks like. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a complete financial investment. This is not my social <laughs> side. <Yeah. laughs> this is my financial investment side speaking. Um, and I think that that's, it's possible because they do exist. Uh, but people t- need to start thinking along those lines. Yeah, that, that's interesting. Mm. So let's leave our listeners with words of wisdom, if you would like to leave them with anything. Okay, that, that's a tough one because, um, uh, you know, um, you're making me sound like I'm some guru or something, which I'm not. Um, you might not call yourself a guru, but you do have a lot of years of experience and you are involved in a lot of initiatives. So there must be something there. <laughs> I think what has really helped me in my life and my career has been to focus on my end goal. And throughout good times and throughout challenging times, focusing on my end goal has helped me get through. And so really my advice would be to no matter which situation you're in, focus on your end goal and be very clear on where you are heading. And once that happens, you will end up there, but you just need to kind of ride the storm with, if it's a difficult situation, for example. Just want to build on that a second. Does that mean like envisioning what you think the end looks like? Is that what focusing on the end goal means? Yes. And having a clear kind of, you know, execution plan, whether if it's a business or is it, for example, a home you want to build or um, whatever it is that you'd like to eventually get to, have a very clear vision of what you, where you want to be and, and focus on that. Because sometimes what tends to happen is that, you know, along the way in life, we do get a bit you know, sort of confused as to where we're heading. Why are we doing this? But you keep reminding yourself, this is, this is what I'm trying to achieve. And this is why I'm doing everything I'm doing right now. You kind of sold yourself short before when you said you don't have anything to say, you actually did have something to say. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's something that helped me. So, so I guess, uh, yeah, that's for sure. So where can our listeners go to maybe learn more about yeah, maybe about yourself. Where do you suggest them to go? So my Twitter, Munal Gurg, um, I'm fairly active there. LinkedIn, you can follow my news there. You'll read a lot about my, again, my passion towards women's empowerment and advancement. And so that's also something that you'll read about there. Um, and so, yeah, those two really is where I'm at. Well, thank you. It was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you very much. And I really enjoyed the discussion. You can find this episode's show notes on our website at streamsofprogress.com slash MUNA. That's M-U-N-A. We'd love to connect with you, so follow us on Facebook and Instagram or reach out via our website. If you can please take a few minutes to give us an honest rating on iTunes, this really makes a huge difference and improves our ability to reach more people in the UAE and beyond. We hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next week on Streams of Progress.